As we come now to the scripture, um, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, this is your word and we're about to read it. And so I pray now that you would help us, uh, be with us and give us ears to hear and hearts really to believe that we may know this word, that it may have its perfect work in us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, open, please, to Titus in chapter 2. I want to begin reading with verse uh, 11. And if I might, I have just marked in the bulletin reading through verse 15. But I want to read through chapter 3 and verse 10. Not that we'll do all of that, but just to kind of set this up uh, for our Advent time. Uh, Titus in chapter 2, please, in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority that no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by one another, by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that who, those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a fitting passage for this time of year for Advent. In fact, uh, these verses, chapter 2, 11 through, through 14, are in the, you know, certain liturgical traditions, uh, uh, the Episcopal Anglican tradition, for instance, in the Book of Common Prayer. This passage is to be read on Christmas Day. And so it is a fitting one, has been fitting historically. It's one of those what we call big passages, summary passages, uh, especially in these verses 2.11 through 14. They describe so much for us about, uh, about the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, what it means to be His, what it means to have faith in Him. And, and so um, uh, it's fitting for us to take this up. I want, if God will help me, to take this passage for us through this Advent season, through these next for Sundays and perhaps even on Christmas Day as well. Um, it's fitting because what we have here is uh, 
uh, a presentation, really, a laying out of the advents, the arrivals of our Lord Jesus. Not simply his first advent, but his second as well. Uh, for hundreds of years, of course, the church has been observing this time of advent and preparation initially to, to what's called epiphany, what is called epiphany, but, but traditionally to this time of, of advent, the era of Christmas, the incarnation of our Lord Jesus, his coming. In fact, the, the first celebrations of, of advent as preparation uh, emphasized almost exclusively the, the second advent of Jesus, the one that is still to come, the one for which we wait as we read in this passage. Um, but, but then it wasn't too long before it was both of these advents. We see here both these advents uh, uh, laid out for us. In verse 11 of chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared. We, the, the light has come, we've seen him. Uh, and, and then we see even in verse 3 of chapter 3, uh, or verse 4, I mean, of chapter 3, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And so we, we see this first coming of Jesus to, to come, not to condemn, as the scripture says, as Jesus says, but to save. But then there's also this second advent that we await. Notice in verse 13 of chapter 2, waiting for our blessed hope, you know, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see both of these advents laid out for us here. And so, again, just simply fitting for us as, as we come. Now, I just today want to just introduce this. I want to make a few observations of this passage, apply it. And even as we come to the table, and we'll come to the table um, as is our tradition each Sunday in Advent. And the first observation really flows out of this notion, really, of Advent. Because one of the advantages of, of this Advent season, beginning our Christian years, it helps us to think, helps us to, to think of the life of Jesus. Um, this time being marked out, we begin with this time of the Advent and waiting and anticipation of of, of the coming of Jesus as we, as we kind of put ourselves in the position in some sense of those who lived before the coming of Jesus and now even as he's come to understand what that means and, and then to anticipate still his second advent. And, and so that leads us into this, this day of Christmas, this incarnation, thinking through this magnificent fact that the eternal, I mean, doesn't this boggle your mind? Huh? That the eternal Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, do we even have a category in our brain for such a thing? When you think of what that must have been like. But, 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 but then this Christmas day and then after Christmas to come to this time in, in the church year of, called Epiphany. And you have to be a relatively good Episcopalian to know that one. But, but, but uh, this time of epiphany, this, that means we see it. There's the manifestation. Who is he really? This, this Jesus as he comes in his baptism and so forth. And we see the father saying, this is my son. This is who he is. And I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. 
And then, and then from there, this time of Lent and the life of Jesus, his suffering and our understanding of our own repentance. And, and then coming to this time of Holy Week that we, we come to on Palm Sunday, where we see Jesus just hailed as the king. But then by Thursday, we, we see him with his disciples telling them that he's going to be betrayed, but leaving them with the, the, the commandment, the mandate that they're to love one another as he's loved them so that the world would know that they're really uh, his disciples as we love one another and, 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 and we, we come as Jesus then takes that which was the Passover meal and, and shows its, 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 its fulfillment in, in this supper we call communion, Eucharist. And then, and then he's betrayed and, and, then, and then we see him on that Friday on the cross as he gives himself, as he's forsaken by his father that, 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 that as he experiences the very wrath of God upon himself and then, then that, that Saturday of just what's what's this about and then and then sunday the great resurrection on easter day that we celebrate and then we think through his appearances together and and then and and then his his ascension to rule and reign and then he sends his spirit upon his people that they may be his witnesses and be empowered to live out his life you see and then we then we think through what that means now now one of the advantages of thinking like that as a christian as you realize, perhaps the most important point that we can make about the Christian faith. And it isn't the first point. It isn't that the Christian faith is, a, is an understanding of life. It isn't that it's a philosophy of life. It isn't that it's a set of ideas to which we're to ascribe. Oh, it's that, but, but that's simply the implications of something that's more basic than that. It isn't that the, the, the Christian faith is a, is a way of living. This I'm supposed to live like this, even to love my neighbor or to love one another. It isn't that in the first instance. Oh, oh, that's an implication of what it is at its core. But there's something even more foundational than any of that upon which all of it is built. That's why Paul begins this section of verse 11 with the word for. After he tells them how to live, he says, this is why. And the reason why is because something has happened. You see, the Christian, Christianity, we can put it like this. I think this may be an awkward sentence, but I think we can put it like this. The Christianity has happened. Because at its core, it's an event that took place. Oh yeah, the implications from it are, it gives us a set of ideas in which we believe. Yes, we understand that. It gives us a way that we're to live. Yes, we understand that. But we mustn't separate that from this sense that it's a historical event. It happened at a time and in a place when Jesus came. He appeared, right? And that's the very essence, the very sense of it, the thing that we mustn't ever forget. I mean, the Apostle John simply sings of it. I mean, when we read through John 1, and I urge you during this Advent season, this may be, there's certain things that need to be repeated in our lives. And if, if I could urge upon you something, it's perhaps every day to read John chapter 1 at least through verse, uh, these first 18 verses. Just to read that and perhaps memorize it. Just have that be your Advent's goal, to, to memorize this great opening chapter of, 
of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, the true light, is a he. Right? A he who appears, a he who comes, a he who's real. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We understand that. We just play that through those events of the life of Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It happened. Never forget that. I know you're thinking, all right, let's get on with this. But but please, we can't get on with this. We need to realize that it's happened, that he, the grace of God, has appeared. Don't forget that ever. Because you see, what we have is not simply a, a, a list of ideas to be to be embraced or even be argued. It's 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 something's happened. We begin there always. Whatever else anybody says to them about, about who God is or any of that, we say, no, 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 no. He's come. He's come. That's why we hold to all of this. That's why we believe all of this. That's why we live the way that we live. For the grace of God has appeared. You see, as Titus is going down, uh, telling us how we're to live, how older men are to live, how you remember last Sunday, how, how older women are to live, how younger women are to live, how younger men are to live, how even bond slaves are to live. He tells them how they're to live their lives. But why? For, he says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing something, bringing salvation for all men, all people. So that's the very point of it. We mustn't ever forget that Christianity has ever happened. The Christianity has happened. If you'll notice in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul says that he exists for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness. This truth that accords with, that's consistent with, that brings with, that leads to this particular kind of life, this truth is the fact that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men. Right? That's the core of it. It isn't that you're supposed to live a particular life. But the core of it, the guts of it, the foundation of it, is that, that you need to know that something's happened. That's why the gospel is called the gospel. <laughs> it's good news. It's something, first and foremost, to be declared. And the declaration is, he's come. He's come. Uh, He's appeared. He really has. And, and, and so that's the sound doctrine that he speaks of in chapter 2 and verse 1. But it's for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So he goes on to teach what accords with it, what fits with it. That's this, this godly life, which is the implication of it. But the sound doctrine, the truth, is that he's come. That he's appeared. That the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men. It's, it's really happened. That's the bottom line for us. Whether we get out-argued, whether we get outlived by others, the truth of the fact is that something's happened, that Christ has come. 
And that's the guts, that's the foundation of it. That's what we should miss. Then in verse 10 of chapter 2, remember he's writing to these, these bond slaves, telling them how to live. And he says, so that, this is, you're to live so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What adorns the doctrine, what adorns this truth is our godliness. But the truth of it, the truth, the doctrine of God our Savior is that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And that's the very, the very guts of it. The very guts of it. Do you know that? Are we good with that? All right. Can I move on? Second observation. Second observation is that while in Advent and in this text, most importantly this text, we, we consider these two separate comings of Jesus. And while they're separated clearly by time, right? He has appeared, he will appear. So we already have centuries between his first appearing and his second. So, so they're separated by time, we get that. Not only that, they're, sort of, they're separated by, by function, by result, by purpose, by plan. The first plan for Jesus to come and redeem as he says, I've come not to condemn, but to save, right? And so that's what he does in his first coming. He comes and does all that is necessary to save his people from their sins. Right? That's part of the historical event. That's part of the history of this. We, we know the history of this. We know, I'm sorry, I'm back to point one, but it's so important. But, but this sense of history, we know the angel coming to Mary and telling her that this child in you it's conceived by the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you know she would be shocked? Given the fact that she hadn't known a man to find herself with child. I mean, unimaginable. So the angel comes and says, and he'll be the son of the Most High. He'll sit on David's throne. She knows all that that means. He's the son of God. I don't know if she thought this, but I would have thought it if I were her. Somebody better tell Joseph. (laughs) So an angel goes and tells Joseph that she's with child. And he thinks, thought process, I'll, I'll divorce her, but I'm a nice man and I care for her. So quietly, but then the angel says, no, 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 no. The child in her is by the Holy Spirit. He's the son of God and you shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why he came. So in his first coming, the purpose was to do all that was necessary to save his people from their sins. And so, so he gave himself for us to redeem us. Now that the word redeem uh, is a word actually in the days of Paul is a word from the slave market, the sphere of the slave market, where slaves could be and could purchase or could someone else could purchase their freedom and pay a price, a redemption price, a price that could be paid and thus they would be free. And so what are we saying? He came to redeem. In his first coming, he came to redeem, that is to pay a price, which was to extinguish the wrath of God, to pay a price by his own death that we might be set free from sin. It's penalty, it's power. That's what Jesus did for his very own. 
The scripture, you know this word. The scripture made, the scripture tells us that Jesus made propitiation for our sin. Meaning that, that he extinguished the wrath of God, that, that God was righteously wrathful towards us sinners, rebelled against him. But Jesus came and gave himself as payment, taking our place, our punishment, our death, so that we'd be forgiven our sins. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men. And, and, and that's what Jesus did in his first coming. But we know that all that was accomplished in his first coming has not all come to fruition. Because the work of Jesus was to deal with sin, to extricate it from the face of the earth, if you will, and from his people. And we know that in Jesus' first coming, this will occupy us next week, but in his first coming, he not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he broke its power, its dominion over us. Right. Romans chapter 6, give you a preview. Romans chapter 6 says this to us. For we've been united, if we've been united to him, verse 5, for if we've been united with him in his de- death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Right? We'll see that's our hope to live what accords with this sound doctrine, to live according to this truth that Christ has come and brought salvation. Our hope is that he's done something. He's redeemed us. He's paid the price and broken the power of sin over us, enslavement, so that we can be freed from it, freed from its penalty, freed from its power. But we know that still there's something here about sin. Its presence is still here. We know that because of our own lives. We have a time of confession every Sunday. Because I know me and I know you. And those who have written how the church is to worship over the centuries have said, when you come to worship, really worship, you realize that we still sin. Even as Jesus' prayer, he says, to pray that God will forgive. And so we we realize that, that while since penalty has been taken and we're freed from it, while since power has been uh, broken so that we're no longer enslaved to it. There's still, though, the presence of sin resides in us and in the world we live. We see it in the world, as the poet put it. Man's inhumanity to man. I mean, we can't escape it if we, if we breathe and read the newspapers or whatever it is that you, however it is you get your news these days. Right? We, we, we can't avoid. We see it in terrorism. We see it in abuse. We see it in the hatred of one to another. Oh, we see the image of God in us from time to time. We, we see that, which is good and, and, and all of that. But, but we see this still sin residing in the world in which we live. We just see it very personally. We have the big global sins, of course. But we see it personally in our own lives as, as we find it so easy to get on one another's nerves, so, so easy to be offended, so easy to offend, so easily to callously care for our own needs while the needs of others go wanting. And 
We know that and we, we, we see that and we see even the evil of sin and disease as it affects people's minds and bodies and emotions. We see the ravages of sin and the world in which we live and death itself is the constant reminder. And so, so we know there's something to be ultimately done and so Jesus will come on another occasion and my point simply is that when we think of the first coming we we mustn't divorce ourselves from the second we mustn't divorce it from the second because that's the consummation of it we're not just here right now we still await this blessed hope uh, we find in this passage and so in a few weeks we're going to talk about that that blessed hope that is to come so always in our minds to realize that Christ has come and in his coming he's brought salvation uh, for all men, but and, and in, that, in that salvation he's redeemed, and in, in that redemption is the, the the taking care of the penalty for sin, so we can be free and forgiven, and know that, and live in it, live in the being justified, declared righteous by God, and and, and live in in the great joy and comfort and assurance and peace and contentment of knowing that we belong to God. Uh, period. And knowing too that we have the hope even in this life by the power of his spirit and his word working in us. Because the ultimate dominion of sin has been broken so we're no longer enslaved to it. Please don't miss next Sunday. I wish I could do this now. Uh, We're no longer enslaved to it. Uh, There is hope for us even now. But then to realize as we look around the world and we see but Jesus... How is it that you left all of this? How is it that still we see sin uh, uh, residing, not only in us, but, but in the whole world around us? Is this it? And he says, oh, no, no, no. Because fixed to that first coming is this other coming. And so always have the, both of them in your mind. As we think through the arc of redemptive history from creation to sin in the fall, to Jesus coming to bring redemption. Don't ever forget that there is consummation that's to come. There is the eradication of sin from us and from the world. That's why the renewal of it all is called the new heavens and the new earth. The very dwelling place of God with his people. Never forget that. Keep that in your mind always, even as we come to this first advent. But then, let me make this final point of it. And that is what I've been saying along and along. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, all people. What does he mean by that? Well, he means, first of all, just in a very real sense, as we're reading through the, the biblical account of all of this, that it isn't just simply a Jewish thing. It's a Gentile thing, too. It's for all people, Right? Uh, as we read through the Old Testament, you realize that God is centering his revelation uh, upon a group of people, these Israelites. And, and you know the history of all of that and their, their faithfulness and their unfaithfulness. But, but still God is, is, is with them, revealing himself through them. And there is a sense in which if you want to know God, you, you, you need to become a part of them, if you will, this Israelite people. Go through their rituals and their ways. Because we know that, that God is revealing himself through them. Um, b- but now, Christ has come. 
And now the Christ has come, then the, this revelation then is, is for all people, not simply them. And we, we see that as the, as the scripture, as the scripture develops, even hints, uh, more than hints, in the Old Testament, uh, the promise to Abraham. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed, not just Israelites, but in your seed, all the families, all the nations of the earth will be, will be blessed. The prophet Isaiah, in, in what uh, I read uh, this morning, actually, um, Matthew includes it from Isaiah in chapter 9, Matthew includes it in, 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 in his uh, telling of, of Jesus beginning his ministry. In verse 12 of Matthew 3, it says, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Do you, do you remember what I read? You probably don't, but, but go home and read it. Isaiah chapter 9, the beginning. Uh, well, I'm going to read it here in a minute from Matthew. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, uh, the, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people in dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. All over the world. The whole world, you see, will be filled with the glory, the knowledge of the glory of God. So it's for all People. Even Jesus, various ones would come to him that were outside of Israel and, 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 and he would always have this little, this little bit with them. Uh, the centurion who comes who has this sick um, servant and he comes to Jesus and says, you can heal him. And Jesus said, I'll go. And the guy says, you don't need to go, just speak the word. And Jesus said, whoa, I haven't seen this much faith in Israel. Here's this Roman centurion. Wow, it's for the whole world, you see. And if you were at a Wednesday night supper some weeks ago, Rick, I won't do it because Rick did a wonderful job. I hope it's been recorded and online about this Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus, whose daughter is oppressed uh, by a demon. And, and, and the disciples want to shoo her away. And Jesus says, uh, and Jesus says, well, I'd love to help you, but I come for the household of Israel. And, uh, you know, and she says, but even the dogs get crumbs under the table. Huh. And she so said, oh. And he heals her daughter. So we see it, you see. And then we see it when Jesus says, go into all the world. So it's for, for all people. Uh, Paul recognizes this. He says, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why? Because Jesus has redeemed, Revelation tells us, people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. He says, this is, this is, this, this is global. Century after century, people after people, all kinds of people, men and women, young and old, doesn't worry about ethnicity, doesn't worry about nationality, doesn't worry about race, uh, doesn't worry about culture, it doesn't worry about a position or education or any of that. It cuts across all of that. This salvation is for all people, and it's the only way. As Peter says, there's been no other name given to us under heaven by which we must be saved. This is it. There is no other way. That's his point. This is the salvation. This is the only salvation. And of course, the only salvation there is, it must be by grace. There is no other way. That's why he can put it like this. You can say Jesus has come, or you can say the grace of God has appeared. It's one and the same. It's fascinating. We, we use words, as we must, to define grace, for instance. In other words, we, we use words to define that. We say that grace is God's Unmerited favor, God's favor. 
given to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. That's grace. What you deserve is judgment. What you get is God's kindness. But really, when the Bible speaks of grace, it always speaks of it in the context of Jesus. So if you're writing a dictionary and you have the word grace, you can just use as your definition Jesus. Because grace is defined in the Bible by a person through a person of Jesus. That's why we teach our little ones, I suspect, at least I learned it when I was a kid in Sunday school, something that always sticks with me. I trust if you grew up in a Sunday school situation, a good one anyway, this is what you may have learned, the definition of grace. It's an acrostic. God's riches are at a Christ's seat expense. Grace. Its context is Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. And now, so it can only be by grace. It isn't something we could ever deserve. Because we know ourselves. We know back in Genesis 6, the scripture defines human beings, that the thoughts and inclinations of their hearts were evil continuously. Jeremiah tells us about the nature of our own hearts because of sin. He says that, it's, that it, our hearts are deceptive. Who can trust them? We can't even trust our own hearts. So when people come to me and they say, this is what I'm going to do, this is my passion, I have to say, well, all right. <laughs> Can you trust your heart? What does the scripture say about that? You know, we have to be careful to allow our hearts to define our lives. We must have the truth define our lives, you see. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, men have loved darkness rather than light. Here he is, Jesus the light. Jesus to reveal the great and the goodness and the grace of God. And yet men rejected him. Why? Because they loved darkness rather than light. Our hearts, the scripture said, are evil. Their thoughts, evil. We're, we, we're born prejudice. Not only against one another. We're prejudice against God. But against his son. And so grace, then, you see, must work in such a way in us to redeem us, to rescue us from that, to take us from that. And as the scripture says, transplanted us from darkness to light. That's what has to happen in the context of, of this grace of God. There was an old hymn. I don't even remember all the verses, but the, but the chorus is something to the effect of, oh, the love that sought me, oh, the blood that bought me, Oh, the grace that brought me into the fold. Somebody find that hymn. I don't have any idea where it comes from. <laughs> I just remember that. Right? But that's the truth of it, isn't it? The grace of God has appeared and he sought me. We, we realize that Jesus is telling these parables. Remember the parable of the woman of the lost coin? Seems that they're silly to us. She had ten. She lost one. We can get the culture and the value of it and all of that. But the point of it is that that one that was lost was such great value that she stopped everything. Invited all her friends, come. I've lost this coin. Let's find it. When she found it, nothing made her happier than that. Or the, the sheep, the lost sheep. He left the shepherd, all the ones, and went for the lost one. When he found it, he rejoiced and all of that. That's the point of all of that. He sought us in love he sought us his blood he bought us he redeemed us you see uh, and the grace then that brought us into the fold hmm. now oh you know all that so let me ask you this how does that affect you 
How does knowing that affect you? What does it do in your heart? Do you say, the fact that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation in Jesus, who has given himself to redeem me from my sin, is that the best thing you know? Is that the best thing you know? Is that better than any achievement that you made in your vocation? Is that better than any possession that you may have acquired? Is that better than any position that perhaps you've attained? Is that even better than any love you've ever known? Whether it be the love of a friend or the love of a spouse or the love of a child or love of a parent. Is that better than anything else? You see, that's the point of Christmas. That's the point of the incarnation. To know that he has come, really. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us, really. It happened. As Apostle John says, we we touched him. We heard him, we touched him. We're in fellowship with him. He's real, he came, he did this. Is it better than anything else that you really know? So the question is, how how, how do we know it? (laughs) How do we really know it? And, And of course, we know it by way of the scripture. The scripture teaches us, the scripture tells us by the power of the spirit at work within the scripture that and the Holy Spirit bearing witness that this scripture is true. So so we read it in the scripture, we said, Okay, we we know it. We know the history, we know that he's come, that the grace of God really has appeared. We know the cross, we know bringing salvation for all people. We know it as the Spirit applies it to us. And we know it too, because he's given us signs and seals. Signs which point to the truth of it. Seals would say, this is authentic, this is really from God. Like the seal in your birth certificate from the state that said, this actually happened. This is a seal of it. This is, this actually happened. And so when we come to this table, you see, it's, it's, it's God telling us again that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Telling us again that truth giving us that sound doctrine to which we can hold. He's saying, look at this, smell it, touch it, taste it. This is real. As real as this bread is, as real as this juice is, as real as you are this day, Jesus is real. And he really came and he really brought salvation by redeeming, you see. He really did that. And he's really here. He's really here within and among us, by his Spirit. He's sought us. He's bought us. And by his grace, he's brought us into the fold. The night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread after giving thanks. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, 
grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. No, he didn't say that. I've come to give myself to... Re- no, he didn't say that. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. The same way he took the cup. And after giving thanks this too, he gave to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. I'm real. I really came. And remember, I've really done it. I've given myself. I've redeemed. I've brought salvation. Rejoice. This is your hope. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me and for us. This would be a special time for us around this table this morning. That we would say in our own hearts, yes, this is the most important thing I know. That Christ has come. And brought salvation. He is my only hope. So, Lord Jesus, we pray as you are among us that this bread and this juice would be set apart in such a way that we would know that you're real, that you've been real before time began you're real in the incarnation that you took on flesh and dwelt among us that you're real on that cross as you gave yourself for us to redeem us to buy us back that you're real now ruling and reigning over all things that you're real by your spirit among us and within us that one day we will see you. That great day, our blessed hope. So please, I pray, may I ask you to bless us. In Jesus' name.